You're listening to St. Pius X Catholic Church in Lafayette, Louisiana. Thank you for joining us. This morning, or this weekend, we celebrate what is called Trinity Sunday, one of the three power feasts that kind of concludes our Easter celebration. Uh, we begin with Pentecost uh, last week, and then today, Trinity Sunday. Next week, it will be uh, Corpus Christi, uh, the most holy body and blood of Christ. And after our 1030 Mass next weekend, we'll have a uh, procession and adoration until 3 p.m., highlighting uh, the presence of Christ among us, uh, fulfillment of the promise at the end of Matthew's gospel that he would be with us until the end of time. And he is with us in, in many ways. And we'll get to that in a minute, but sometimes I get the question, you know, why do we celebrate Trinity Sunday? I mean, Trinity is God, right? Don't we worship God every Sunday? And the answer to that would be, of course, yes. And why this celebration, this particular day, when we do it every Sunday, every day? And the answer to that is what we celebrate today is the revelation of God and the nature of the Trinity. The revelation. We did not know that before Jesus came. We could not have known that before Jesus came. We would have never figured out the nature of the Trinity without Jesus coming and teaching us it. And when we think of that deepening of knowledge and then the corresponding faith in God that would come from that, we celebrate that revelation. And what we believe to be the fullness of revelation in the life of Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate today God's goodness to us in sending his son, and we hear at the end in our gospel reading today, at the beginning, you know, that God so loved the world that he gave us his only son so that everyone who believes in him might not perish but might have eternal life. Jesus' mission of our salvation, our salvation, the salvation of the world and each individual in it. And we've been working on the sacraments over the last six weeks, and when we think of Jesus, you have to think of ordination to the priesthood. Yesterday, I'm happy to announce that uh, three new priests were hatched at the cathedral in the early morning. I was got to go see uh, one of our own, now Father David Verka, be ordained. Uh, his first mass will be tonight at the 5 p.m. mass for anybody who would like to come back. There is a plenary indulgence attached with uh, attendance at the Mass, participation in it. I'll explain that before Mass, but similar to First Friday, but you get to do it not over nine weeks, you can do it in one Mass. And then we'll have a, a reception afterwards in the gym. All of you are invited. That'll begin right after the 5 p.m. Mass, so between 6 and 6.30, whatever you can make uh, to celebrate. This will be the fourth, the fourth priest that was ordained from our parish in the last six years, which is something that is wonderful. A little bit of work on the pastor, I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of it. It used to be a special event. And I was like, okay, we got another first mass. You know, it's a, we make the irregularity, but it's absolutely beautiful. Um, absolutely beautiful ordination. And the mass tonight at five should also uh, be beautiful. But he was ordained with uh, Father Reed Bellingham from Koto and also uh, Michael Vadrine 
uh, I can't remember. I know it's North St. Landry Parish. I can't remember if it's Palmetto or Lebeau, one of the two churches there. But he spent a lot of time in Opelousa, so I got to know him uh, when I was at St. Landry. But keep those men in your prayers, and we'll celebrate, like I said, our fourth ordination and first mass uh, over the last six years. And when we think of priesthood, I'm going to focus in on this Trinity Sunday on the on the, the priesthood of Jesus Christ and the ordination to it. There are some things that we uh, maybe know often or, or we think about often and questions that I get uh, that I'd like to answer because when you come down to it, the minister of every sacrament, the minister of every sacrament is Christ himself, his divine nature. And you know, when um, my mother was still living, she used to have fun with me and, and maybe ask some pointed questions you know, about what I was doing in the seminary. And she asked me one time, she said, Jimmy, how many priests are there? I said, Mom, I'm really not sure if you, you know, make me guess. Um, I mean, well, do you want to know in the United States or the world? And she said, both. And I said, okay, I would say in the United States, I think it's around 70,000. This was 20 years ago and maybe a little more or less now. I think worldwide, it's, it's around a million, it may be, but don't hold me to any of that. And she just looks at me and goes, that's wrong. Said, what do you mean, mom? She goes, that's wrong. There's one priest and only one priest, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so when you're ordained to the priesthood, you are ordained into the priesthood of Jesus Christ. All we are are instruments of his ministry, every priest. And there is only one. And what a beautiful vocation it is. You know, sometimes you know, people wonder, where did that come from in the Bible? Well, if you read the New Testament and you move into a lot of Paul's letters, where he sets up what they call presbyters in every local community. And so presbyter is the name for a priest in the Bible. Sometimes it's translated as elder, uh, but presbyter is the word. And what we call them priests, and it's, that's the Old Testament term. Uh, kind of like the way we say keep holy the Sabbath, but we don't we don't keep holy the Sabbath as Christians. Uh, we keep holy the Lord's Day, actually, right? Sabbath is on Saturday. Our Jewish brothers and sisters celebrate that. But we ourselves, we celebrate the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, but we call it the Sabbath, right? We still use that term. Same thing with priests. You know, in the priesthood, it's not the Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament. It is the fullness of priesthood in Jesus Christ. And so it's all over the New Testament in so many different places where they refer to presbyters and, and, and or elders and the consultation with them. But we are ordained to be in persona Christi, uh, which means that we act in the person of Christ. And this would be another way that Jesus is with us until the end of time in his ministry to each and every one of us, particularly in the seven sacraments. And so that's our job. And you know, many people, and it's very nice that they'll say, you know, you as a priest, you, know, you're, you have a higher calling. Uh, you have a higher calling. And I get it because the priesthood of Jesus Christ, there really couldn't be much better. But at the same time, you know, I know a lot of married couples 
And I know that that calling is very high. And it's the same grace of Christ that works in them as works in a priest. It's a difference in the grace given for the particular vocation. And then you also have to look at the person. And what I mean by that is that as a priest, we're not like somehow shielded from the human temptations that come in the world. You know, that we have the same struggles and trials and difficulties as anybody else. Now we've given the grace to overcome them just as every disciple has. Uh, but at the same time, when you think of dignity and honor, we're all through our baptism dignified and honored to pursue Christ and to come to know him in the particulars of how we live our lives in his teaching. And so, yes, it is a, you know, you think of a particular setting aside, you think of a particular function, uh, but at the same time, just like you guys, um, I'm a sinner in need of God's mercy. I need to go to confession regularly. I need to walk the life and to accept the grace that Christ wants to give to me. And at times, as all of us, we struggle with our weaknesses and our faults and our sins. But we're all on that same path towards eternity, the same salvation that we hear about in John's gospel today, uh, that Christ came to give us all eternal life and we all have to live in that. And I kind of uh, laugh. Uh, uh, my sister one time uh, said, you know, and this is another question you get. She said, you know, I really wish priests could get married, Jim. I think you'd be a good father. It was a complimentary thing. And I just looked at her and I said, don't you take my celibacy away from me. I've seen you in your marriage state. I've seen all my brothers and sisters in the marriage state. I've seen many other people in their marriage state. It's not that I don't want anything to do with that, but it ain't so easy, right? Well, the married couples are laughing. Everybody else is kind of like, I don't know, you know. But it's not easy. You know, neither vocation of service is, is easy, but it's all about giving of self. It's all about giving yourself over to Christ for all of us. But yes, in a particular way, a priest is in persona Christi, and there is something special about that. In the same way, there's something very special about God consecrating a man and a woman, and they become one by the gift of his grace. But my sister talking about marriage, it's another question we get a lot. What about celibacy? What is that? And it's so important to remember that we can't pigeonhole celibacy as simply the renunciation of marriage or the marital act. If you do that, then anybody is gonna feel oppressed in the discipline. Celibacy is so much more than that. In the same way that being a parent is so much more than procreation. You know, there's a lot more to being a mother and a father, good parents, uh, in, in the same way for a priest that there's a certain spiritual paternity that is encompassed in celibacy. It's not just a renunciation. There's a fruitfulness and a beauty in the life. Now, I'll admit, when I was younger, it was harder to see that. And same thing with parents. When you're younger, you're harder to see. But now that I've been around for 15 or 20 years as a priest and I've been able to be a pastor at two places, you know, I can see the spiritual paternity. People with whom I visit, you can see their growth in faith. You can see that they are moving forward in their life in Christ through the efforts that God makes in me, his sacraments, not me, but I get to have it come through me as an instrument. And what a beautiful thing that is and certainly keeps me 
going in the sense of, wow, you know, this works. And I was thinking, how can you tell spiritual growth as a young person? I mean, how, how can you possibly see someone else and see how they're growing? You can, in the same way that a parent can see the maturity of their children, right? You see those things, little things that tip you off about how someone's mind is and, and where their heart is and, and what they're saying about it. And so if you look at celibacy simply as a renunciation of the marital act, then you really do look at it as an oppressive thing. And the world looks at it like that. That's the way the world looks at it. You know, the world would look at it as, why are you depriving yourself of something when in reality, particularly in this, well, this day and age of what we'll call license with the marital act, huh? A lot of license with it. And so we think of the, the chaste aspect of it where everybody's called to be chaste, just in their particular state of life. And we, because of, as St. Paul would like to say, the undivided heart, the need, the need to be dedicated to the community, we are called to be celibate. Now, there's a couple of things uh, with that that I think are also important to notice. I've got a good friend of mine. He's Methodist. I've talked about him before. I don't say his name, but he knows that I mention him in homilies because he asks questions, great questions, and some great insights. And he and I were uh, at my camp one time talking and visiting, and uh, his Methodist church is a big church, uh, and so they have multiple pastors for different things, and they have a different structure than we do. And some of their pastors were having problems, family problems, and they were big ones, distracting them from their work. So we think of St. Paul talking about serving with an undivided heart. And, and he, he looked at me and he said, man, because he would go to mass with me when I was down there and covering at the little churches around Cocodry. He said, man, I wish we had that. I wish we had someone at the church who was just devoted to the church and was not distracted by the problems of life. He said, you, your people don't know how lucky they are to have that structure in place and to have people willing to serve in that way. You know, what a great gift. And I, I just sat there thinking, because I'm cynical sometimes, you know, and grass is always greener, right? And that might've been a little bit with him, but it helped me to understand that, you know, he wished that they could have a daily service and it, or we would say daily mass because he would go to it. He goes, you Catholics do this every day in every church? I said, yeah, man, I wish I had that when I got up and before I went to work. He said, you don't have to worry about minister problems or anything like that. I said, well, we're all sinners in need of God's mercy, but as far as family problems, no, not family problems. Certainly plenty of priest problems. Like I said, we're sinners in need of his mercy. We'll walk on the journey. But he said, that's really nice. He said, like I said, I wish we had that. He enjoyed coming to daily mass with me when I would go and celebrate. And so we think of, of why the priest should exist. It is essentially first to be a shepherd for the flock. And in that shepherding, in that paternity, that's where celibacy comes into play. And celibacy is a setting apart to be a minister, a priest of Jesus Christ. Not Father Brady, a priest. Father Brady, a priest of Jesus Christ. And we help Jesus. We're the visible, tangible person who is able to fulfill that ministry by the grace of ordination. 
Our deacons, they're ordained for particular orders of service. It's a different service, priestly service, and we certainly appreciate those. That, of course, comes from Acts of the Apostles, and our, our bishop is as well a different consecration, a different ordination to certain charisms, gifts that they have, the powers of orders as, as we call them. And I think that it's always important to remember that as we you know, celebrate today as a parish uh, the ordination of one of our own, uh, that that is the function of priesthood. We should appreciate the gift of holy orders, the gift of that sacrament for us, that it is rooted in the Bible in the earliest of the church and has been sustained through 2,000 years plus of our history. And in the end, it has worked. And when I say it has worked, it has worked because of what God has done in the sacraments for each and every one of us, the grace that he has given along the way. The seven sacraments that always were and always will be. The fullness of truth that God gives to each and every one of us. The fulfillment of his promise to be with us until the end of time. Let's make sure that we appreciate those gifts. We're entering a Eucharistic revival year uh, that will be more focused on the parish. Let's make sure that we use the tools that God has given to us to come to know and to love him more deeply and to follow him more closely. Let's pray for the three young men uh, who were ordained today. It's always a, uh, puts a smile on my face when I see an ordination. It reminds me of my ordination day. Maybe the same way many of you who are married when you see a young married couple. Uh, the beautiful zeal that they have. And let's celebrate as a parish this ongoing gift of Christ that allows us to understand the Trinity, the truth of Jesus Christ in the divine word and of course in his incarnate son.